before the whole experience, I, I probably had a lot of hubris and thought, oh my gosh, the mayor's office has 30 people. What's taking them so long to get this stuff done? You've got a staff of 30. Then you get in there, and I'm like, you only got 30? That's all you got? <laughs> I need about, I need about 50. So there's a lot to do in a mayor's office, and I think giving them a little bit of grace and a little bit of space to accomplish things is very important. I think regardless of who's in there, they're trying to do a good job and they're trying to do the right things. And they're just people that live in Nashville that are trying to make this a better place to live. And so I've, I've probably, or, or I have, I've moderated, I think a good bit in, in terms of how I look at government and how I look at the people doing the jobs you know, you want to, I think, ideally have high expectations and be very demanding, encourage different approaches, creative approaches, while still giving folks some space to do the work. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. My name is Jamie Holland. You will not find me on X. Joining us in studio for a full episode today, senior advisor to John Cooper's administration, Ben Eagles in studio. Ben, welcome to the show. Good to have you, sir. How are you? Great to be here. First time, long time. <laughs> um, we're going to spend most of today's episode in what we hope is the first of a few different looks back at the Cooper administration, what was accomplished, um, what exactly took place. It was quite a wild couple of years, as you are well aware, sir. So we'll get to that. Uh, we do have some news and notes to get to on the front end here with an election in Franklin and a correction to make about garbage. Uh, but Jamie, where should the good people go to give us five stars? Ah, they let me down last time. Only one rating since our last episode, Braden, went from 91 to 92. They got to scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and hit five stars. Uh, you don't get five stars. We're inclined to believe you are a hater. Thanks, Bomani. Uh, ben, do you call it Twitter or X in your personal life? Definitely Twitter. Uh, the website is still Twitter. The moment they change that, I'll <laughs> start true. respecting That's this true. absolutely nonsense name. I do think I was your first five-star review, too, because y'all mentioned you had this podcast. Mm. You didn't want to tell me the name of it. Uh, it took me about a minute of sleuthing. <laughs> I found it, listened to the first one, uh, agreed to not share it, but I, I gave you five. I'll give you five stars. Does that mean he's a hater if he didn't share it? That, you would ask me not? No, if he gets That's four true. stars, he's a hater. Well, that was our soft launch, technically, though, right, I right. think. It was. So. And that was Braden's scheme. Also, do you know how to... to keep it in confidence. It sounds like you did not need a lesson from Jamie on how to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, is what it also sounds like. The only reason that I knew how to do that was just I had my own little fledgling thing for a little bit there. And so, uh, <laughs> at one point, I, too, was groveling for five-star reviews. Well, uh, groveling is one way to look at what Jamie does uh, I for a living. I haven't That's checked. his professional. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I haven't checked in a while, Braden, but I'm pretty sure this podcast has more reviews than any of your other podcasts. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think it's an ego thing. All man. right, let me make a correction. It's an ego thing. Let me, let me get to a correction. A la Roger Clemens. 
I misremembered something. That's a baseball player. Hall of Famer to be, maybe. Asterisk. Steroid use. <laughs> Steroid. Asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. Asterisk. I said Hall of Famer, asterisk. It's true. I just put them all in. It's fine. I said that Middle Point and Murfreesboro would quit accepting Metro's garbage in 2023. My memory on that was that a member of the Regional Solid Waste Board down there, former state representative Donna Barrett, expressed the desire to do that in 2022. But that's not possible because the contract with their public service, the operator of the landfill, goes until 2027. So, despite her desires, that's not happening. So, are you trying to get five-star reviews right now or with this update? I, I think... Riveting. Garbage. Hey, we're going to talk to you about some fucking garbage. Here <laughs> yeah, you are. So, just check yourself. <laughs> garbage content. So, you just got my Agent Orange up. So, that's we're, right. we're going to dig Let's into go. that Red River. All right. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, listen, ultimately we want to be, first of all, we want to be correct on the show. That's not, you know, we say a lot of words, it's, we're going to make mistakes. So we want to be correct, but ultimately the point still stands. And obviously the Nashville banner is following everything that we do and garbage and trash is still an issue that is pending over the next few years that needs to be solved. So while we, it's, it's, it's excellent and appropriate to do the, to issue the correction, the main point that garbage is going to be an issue for this city coming up in a few years is still absolutely valid. And yeah, because the council important. just approved two contracts increasing the cost of our garbage collection 431% per contract. But, hey, it's just your money. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Franklin Mayor Ken Moore defeated Alderman Gabriel Hansen in Franklin, Tennessee. Moore won more than 80% of the vote compared to Hansen's 20% of 16,209 ballots cast. Uh, there was only 3,500 roughly ballots cast in the 2019 Franklin mayoral election. Uh, and Jamie, I'm proud to say that you were incorrect about the number of n just blatant Nazis running around in Williamson County. As I tried to tell you, she had no chance. You were right, but listen to that. We did get the identity of approximately 3,500 pro neo Nazis <laughs> in a town of about 90,000. You know. I, hey, I, I, are you gonna? Does that make you excited to go to Franklin soon? Actually, uh, if you told me out of ninety thousand, eighty six thousand five hundred or not, I'm I'm actually pretty good with that ratio. Yeah, actually. All right. Well, that, that, I, I, me, won't, that, I won't ben, see you down the there, Ben. What's the story from the Franklin mayoral election in your mind? Well, I, we talked about <laughs> it a bit before, but I mean, I think folks need to walk back these takes that Franklin is some sort of hotbed for racist america i mean the, the the math does not does not check out and and i wish we had a little bit more optimism going into that that this would have be, would be the result but um it's a good result and and is it problematic that uh she ran and had support 100 percent? but my guess is uh you, you act crazy in a lot of counties around the country and you're yep. going to get someone to vote for you. I, I think ultimately, and I think we said it on the show multiple times that there's just not like, there's going to be a fringe member of this society, no matter what year we're in, no matter what issues are going on. This is a free country where you are allowed to feel all those things that those folks feel. The key is what percentage of them are out there. And sure, there's plenty that are hiding, but I don't think ever that there's when you are just that outlandish leaning into things, 
there's you're just never going to win a majority of folks I no think matter the, the county the reason why is because mayor's races are not subject to gerrymandered districts we got a new speaker of the house in the united states congress he's never had a challenger never what's his name do you know his name <laughs> Mike Johnson. There you go. Johnson, yeah. Well done. <laughs> I was waiting for the I'm not stat sure. correction. I'm not sure anybody's First ever. First thing that kind of my head was Jordan, but no. No, that got lost. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I just. Jimmy J. I just, Ben, I think you're right. I think as I, I, one of the things I've tried to issue on this show as much, I think Jamie as the centrist that he is, I think we are way more alike than we appear. In my personal opinion, I, I think we can disagree on the 13th or 14th or 15th most important thing in our life but the first 10 or 12 were kind of all about the same political spectrum race gender ideology i think we're all kind of a lot closer together than we realize and i think to your point that is what we saw happen even if i personally disagree with everything ken moore would do it's it's still reasonable well with, that's, that's kind of your so. big approach to things and i think one thing that you're trying to do with this pod is is show that to folks and and have disagreement and different takes in a way that's respectful and and uh, productive one thing to mention on uh, jim jordan i'm not sure if, if y'all read it but there was a piece in the atlantic all about his background as a wrestler as a wrestling coach at ohio state and abuse the scandal there cover yeah we talked yeah, about it last and week. uh thanks for listening just a fantastic piece <laughs> he's uh, we talked about it last week did why not na- listen why not put the abu- put the abuse victims in the front row of the vote that's what i would have done if i was a democratic strategist on the national level which i am not well at least in congress if you've never passed a bill you still can't whip the votes to be speaker house. <laughs> there we go all right anything else before we get yes, to, to emily, the Cooper administration council member emily benedict follow-up she had a bill that was going to remove the cameras and the signs and it passed on first reading second readings coming up she was a guest last week guess what happened yesterday they took the fucking cameras and signs down hmm. how about that who was the they my guess is in and someone from the police department advised the council that while those cameras were up there, they were turned off. I don't know if anybody believes this. I just call this the latest edition of the Metro way. LPRs, I, I have been, listen, I, I use the phrase, if we're issuing corrections, I, I use the phrase, we are pregnant with the LPRs the way we are pregnant with the Titan Stadium. Oh, 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 some criticism got to you. And, I, and I was told oh. that is not. Correct, but now I've got Ben in here. So um, I, I guess my question would be, and this is more for both of you guys and, and structurally how it works, which is they're waiting on a contract. I care about what the Metro Council sees from a language standpoint in that contract to make sure smart and qualified and intelligent people are handling the contract. Uh, if the council rejects the contract, does the mayor's office have the authority or anybody else have the authority just to not do this because the council has passed it? So I, I'm curious about how this works structurally. It, 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 forget about ideology, just structurally. How, how is it that we are not going to have LPRs in this town? I think we will, first of all. Um, but on your point, if they don't approve the contract, uh, the, the cameras won't go up and there won't be a firm to op- operate the cameras. We just do it indefinitely until there's a con- – like, I guess that's what I'm asking is would we just – 
continually do it indefinitely until the contract is approved? What happens if it gets turned down two times? Well, before you answer what that, do we do? is the contract approval via resolution or ordinance? We can't hear that answer, Ben. You know, I, I'm not really following the LPR vote professionally these days. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a nice little uh, fact about my life. Respite. Um, but I know it has to be approved. If for whatever reason that contract's not approved, I don't know what the next step is. If they re-procure it, re-bid, re-bid it, try to revise the criteria, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will be. Yeah. Interesting little note here. Maybe I'll talk about it last week on the pod, and, and so uh, let's call it PBN. Forgive me. I'm a little annoyed by pod. Why? Why, why does let's that call bother it you? PBN? Why does that bother you? Because everybody says it. We're PBN. That's true. Okay. Everybody. PBN. Everybody says it, Ben. Everybody. Everybody that has a podcast calls it a pod. Let's call it PBN. Okay. Right. Sorry. So, Sorry to interrupt. Ben. I was at a wedding a couple weeks ago and uh, was talking to a guy that works as it it happens for one of these top firms in the L, in the LPR space around the country and had a great discussion with him. And I asked him, you know, we've had a lot of challenges in Nashville getting this done. What has been your experience around the country? Is it typically this divisive? Because if you look at it, it it's kind of surprising that it became such a hot button topic here. And he said out of all the places that they've worked around the country, there's Nashville, and I believe the other place he cited was Berkeley as being <laughs> like the two most challenging environments politically to get this done. And so I think it, it's an opportunity. Um, people raise good points about LPRs on, on both sides, but it's an opportunity to, to zoom out and ask ourselves if we've become a bit of a prisoner of this topic, um, of, of something that really shouldn't be this divisive, this exciting to talk about. It is a tool to track down people like the shooter yesterday in Maine to use an LPR to quickly find the Subaru and hopefully find a perpetrator before they go on to do more more things. It is a tool to keep a community safe. I think we need to step back and ask ourselves what it is about Nashville that allowed this to become such a divisive topic because it's, it's out of step with most of the rest of the country. I got a possible solution. 20 member council. <laughs> we got a whole episode coming about that. I, I'm not sure that would be a solution to this, but an episode of PBN, not an episode of the pod, Ben, just an episode of PBN coming with, with all of that in mind. Um, anything else, Jamie? Cause I'm going to ask Ben if he's had a chance to take a breath since the new administration took over. Cause that I'd like to talk about that. Is that okay? Segway. All right. Uh, you've been with the Cooper administration since the campaign. Freddie O'Connell takes over. He's sworn in. Do you allow yourself to take a breath? Do you allow yourself to to wash your hands of all the things you've been dealing with the last five years? Haven't watched a council <laughs> meeting. I've uh, been watching a lot of sports. It's been nice. Um, yeah, it's been it's been nice to 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 take a beat. Um, still going to be around and and following things and 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 in the space in a variety of ways but uh it's it's been nice after four years to not be in the thick of it day in day out i imagine there's a very healthy approach to clearing some some headspace uh for sure so let's go to when you first got in um when you first decide to jump into the campaign and 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 help john cooper get elected what was your thought process why why then why that candidate why like why was that the right decision for you personally at the time 
Good question. Yeah, I, I uh, had met uh, John back in 2015. Um, interesting story. I, in 2014, had worked um, uh, for Mary Mancini when she ran for state senate against uh, Jeff Yarborough in what was an open primary after Doug Henry uh, retired. And uh, Sam Wilcox had actually worked on Jeff Yarborough's race, and I was on Mary's race. And um, so when, when John Cooper decided to run for council, uh, Sam got that campaign off the ground, filed the paperwork, got things started, and then um, he moved up to New York uh, with his girlfriend, now his wife. They're expecting any day now their they're for, they're for first kid. They were going to move up to New York, and uh, Sam connected me with Cooper. And, um, you know, just a brilliant guy. I think at, at that time uh, had a lot of ideas for, for counsel and, and kind of a critique about how things were being done. And uh, so that was that was my first council race. Um, I was in the middle of an Amendment 3 campaign uh, for local hire, uh, getting petition signatures done there um, for a referendum and helping a number of council candidates, including Freddie in, in his first race for council in 2015 as well. Um, and then after that cycle, I went to grad school at, at Indiana uh, for pu public affairs. Shout out to the Hoosiers. And um, stayed in touch with Cooper when he was on council and uh, would really at that time I was trying to follow things here in Nashville and um, it was seeing kind of a lack of long form discussions of topics, um, try to read the paper and stuff, but um, wanted to sort of dive into stuff more. So when I came back to Nashville, was working in the finance department and uh, started a podcast um, similar to this in terms of like long form uh, discussions of, of social political stuff. And, um, and then so it was 2017, I came back and then everything happened with, with uh, Barry resigning, Riley popping in the seat, and then Cooper had this decision to make: like, is is he going to run? And we we talked a lot about it. And um, I did not. There's a kind of a story there. I mean, I I did not believe it was worthwhile for him to to do a poll. I I'm kind of a feel guy, and it it, it felt like there was a moment, and with all the financial instability within the city. He was the guy with the right background and the right message potentially to to win and, and do a good job as mayor. He's been a campaign guy, you know, for for years. Ran his brother's campaign at at various points and was the chief of staff in D.C. before his his brother was up there. And so, really astute political mind. And he was like, "No, no, no! I, I need to do a poll. This is how you do things. You're going <laughs> to do a poll." And so I was like, all right, but you're going to spend 30,000 bucks. And is it's going to tell you. Is this pre or post cherry tree? This is all, this is all pre. I mean, I think, I think the cherry tree thing, folks sort of overplay the importance of that <laughs> in the decision. But so well, I, I was in the room, so I, I can tell you, but so he's like, all right, I'm going to do a poll. I was like, that's 30,000 bucks. And it's going to tell you, no one knows who you are. Yeah. It's like, all right, but I got to do it. So we do the poll comes back. It's 30,000 bucks, and it told him no one knew who he was. And he was like, Ben, I, I just can't do it. I don't think there's a path. At that point, it was really going to be a sprint, right? And uh, there were certain things you look at of, like, the direction of the city, job approval, what folks think are the big 
big it uh, big issues and i continue to think there was a path and talked about it talked about it and uh of course he ended up doing it and uh, i quit my job in the finance department to run the campaign and had a blast what what is it that you guys think you tapped into you just alluded to the temperature of the electorate at that time what is it that you guys think you tapped into certainly there's been lots of commentary about the other side making mistakes as well but what did you guys tap into in the electorate that allowed him to to win and again in the runoff very easily i mean i think in that moment in 2019 there was a sense that uh city was going in the wrong direction and i think that sentiment still exists now uh, we, i'd be happy to talk about that more but there was that there was also the financial instability of of the city uh budget problems uh promised pay pay raises for for police officers for for fire and and for schools and for all of, me, of, of metro had been rolled back um so there were a lot of things that people were not happy about this was right on the heels of the failed transit plan um and so in many ways we were able we were able to kind of recreate um the coalition of folks who were frustrated by that transit plan and felt left out of the transit plan left out of the growth in nashville um frustrated with the management of the city's finances and really have a very detailed uh sort of policy approach to the campaign and a and a message that the city needed to focus on more than downtown and a lot of those themes exist still still today um but that was that was the thesis well, there was one common denominator throughout the, the Barry administration and the Browley administration that ended with the Cooper administration. That was who was the director of finance. Fascinatingly, I think you're talking about uh, Rich Reebling. And Rich... Uh, Finally, we, we were in financial problems with the same guy going on. Go ahead. I wish they could see your I know. <laughs> gestures there on the pod a lot of a lot of facial gesticulation is that the right word so when i was in grad school early on in cooper's tenure on council he connected me uh with rich for an interview and that's how i got set up to to intern in in the finance director's office for for talia when he was the 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 coo so got a lot of appreciation for him um but yes that was certainly a, a common theme across the two why is it this is a so you might say good at hiring maybe bad at budgeting i'd like to think i was a good hire you know it was, it was an intern it was free. <laughs> i think it was free I, I don't believe i was i was paid so you know it's about as good of a hire as you can get hey, what's funny is you mentioned how it's still part of freddie's message that landed in this particular electorate which again it's hard you know we use the words like temperature or upside down or what, you know, all these different phrases sort to sort of describe the, the vibe of the city. Um, and for all the things that you guys campaigned on and that won, and certainly you guys were met with a bunch of unforeseen challenges. We'll get to those. Uh, but for it to still be the thing now and for the East Bank development and the Titan Stadium to ironically sort of end up as his policy jewel at the end of it, which is a downtown development for a guy who ran a campaign on like, let's focus on very similar to Freddie, let's focus on the community in Nashville and everything. Like it, it, I find it interesting that that's still the temperature. Do you have any sense as to why that might be? Well, I've got this metaphor that I, I may have bored y'all with, but I, I like to think of Nashville as an angsty teen. 
who's hit its growth spurt. We have some growing pains, and we become sort of jaded and cynical about where we are as a city. And I think at some point Nashville is going to kind of grow out of that. Um, and I think four years or eight years we're going to wake up and, and realize that this is an expensive place to live and that uh, there is a natural life cycle of restaurants that, uh, you know, if, if we were to go around the three of us and your listeners, you know, name me a restaurant that existed 150 years ago that's still around around today, uh, that there is an evolution that cities have and that is natural. There are pros and cons to that, but um, I, I think there's something to be said for the notion that if you're not growing, you're dying, and that that if a city, you, you can't choose your problems, but if you could, you would choose Nashville's over just about any other place in America in terms of our set of problems and how we got those and what that means. Uh, that means people want to move here. They want to start a bit. So they want to start a business here. Your kids, when they graduate from college, want to move back here. Those are all great things. Um, now it comes with traffic. Comes with rising cost of 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 living, and we have to figure out how to reckon with that. But um, those those forces did not change in four years. Um, but I I think. Uh, something that we kind of got to work on. And, and I recognize the irony of me saying this, having managed Cooper's campaign and, and the rhetoric that we used to talk about downtown and, and, you know, the focus of the previous mayors. But we have to get better as a city about positive self-talk. It shocks people who come to Nashville and they see what's, what's happening here. And then you tell them, yeah, People are really upset about it all. Um, and, and so there, there are ways to talk about the cost of housing and the need for more density and the need for transit and the need for improvements within our schools. There are ways to do that and continue to work on all of that while maintaining a, a kind of a positive stance about the city in a way that we do not have now. And I, I do not uh, run marathons but from a good friend of mine who who does he's told me a lot about when you run if in your head you're engaging in a positive self-talk cycle you perform better than if you run and you're thinking about how exhausted you are the lactic acid that's that's going to hit you know that cripples you and i think within our politics um un unfortunately on X or Twitter or the I, Hive or that's what I, whatever you well, want no, no, to that's, call it. That's what I was going to ask. Is that's do pervasive. You, do you get that pervasive sense in person with folks when you're at, when you're in meetings, when you're having conversations with in the community? Like, do you get that sense from people in face to face, or is it just, is it more a social media influencing our brain stems? Because that's literally, I mean, that's literally the the science behind social media is to inject itself into the bottom of your brain stem. Like that's that's the goal of the company. So. Do you get that sense in person with people that they're all extremely negative about what's going on? I think it depends on who you talk to. Um, I, I totally agree that Twitter exacerbates that. And, and I think we have a Metro council that's probably a little bit too online. 
Um, and and so I, I, I do agree with what you're suggesting, that if you go and talk to regular folks, that people feel a lot better about how things are going. Um, I mean, I also am a big believer that if you sit down and talk to people about their concerns, meet them where they're at, and then explain and kind of get to the root of things, to your point, we're much more like than than uh, you know. But but um, I I do still think that there is you know a poll. So the polling that's been done about right track and wrong track in in Nashville, really for the last seven or, or eight years, uh, ha- has shown this marked decline in the number of people that are optimistic about the direction of of the city. And I think yeah, to your question, that is more than just social. That's yeah, no, more right. than yeah. than than twitter it's measuring something because most people you know jamie might might be able to tell us the 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 stats of you know declining use but most people are not on twitter and so when they <laughs> no, receive no. the poll and they say things are going in the wrong in the wrong direction i don't think that's twitter that's that's speaking there what's interesting about the poll results though and i i don't know about what poll you're speaking specifically but generally though, well, really all of them for the last, you know but are generally responders don't they skew sort of the opposite like they're like the inverse of the twitter user right don't they skew a little bit more offline a little bit more older a little bit again we're just we're just kind of bullshitting here but like if we're gonna i agree with your point about the online user there's very few people in the market that are actually on twitter that are using twitter regularly right it, it's a it, it was less than 20 percent when elon took over it's even lower oh, now yeah, it's tiny yeah um relative to sort of our our entire conversation generally people who respond part of the reason polling has been so wrong in this country for the last few cycles is that this, this, there's a very specific type of person that responds right is that fair i don't know i mean i it 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 probably is a different demo than than Twitter, mostly because of age. But I mean, a, the the job of a pollster is to try to get a good sample of in in this case who is going to vote. And so you're you're trying to find the voters and do a, a an, an an accurate poll that that's going to reflect the the turnout. So I, it's different than Twitter. But you know, the way that polls worked five or ten years ago when folks thought things were in a better direction, maybe eight years ago. Um, it's largely they're reaching the same folks now with, within the city and they're giving a different response. And and you can compare the numbers in Nashville of, of our things going in the right direction to a city that I like to compare us to because population wise and geographically we are very similar to, which is Oklahoma City. And the number of people that think things are going in the right direction there is like 90%. And they have a um, referendum in December, fascinating thing for us to watch here in Nashville, on a new stadium for the Thunder. And uh, it's going to be about a billion dollars, and the team is kicking in $50 million, so 5% of the funding is going to be from, from the team. And we can just revisit that, see how they're going to vote, yep. do this pod in Life's this talk- PBN Excuse here in a few me. months. PBN, PBN. Yeah, they, they stockpile some draft picks too. Maybe they can sell a few of those picks and put more into the <laughs> arena. I don't know. They have a lot of picks. Believe in Presty. Maybe the Grizzlies will trade some. All right, let's get a switch to governing in the pandemic. What would you like to revisit, redo? Gosh, I mean, the thing about covid and just sort of to, to to set the table there as we knew covid was going to 
be a big thing. I, I think a lot of people didn't know it was going to be as huge as it turned out to be. But we saw in in China, of course, we, we knew we were going to have to wrestle with this. So the mayor requested the leadership of the health department come in and, and meet with them and present what this their doctor, plans were. Has Dr. Amazing been hired at this point yet? This is uh, before him. Before Dr. Before Amazing got hired. First Thank you very week, much. His okay. first week was... Um, I think the the week of the tornado. I was going to say this is tornado, after the tornado, yeah. and then we got our first case like four days yeah. after that. Um, so this was before he was hired, and leadership of the health department comes into the conference room and they bring with them a binder. It's about four inches thick. Set it down on the table, and they sort of pat the binder. This is our plan. We are prepared. This is our response to an epidemic. This is how we're going to how we're going to manage it. And it's, it's just one of those examples of you don't know what you don't know. And, and you can try to prepare for things. You know, everybody's got a plan until they're punched in the mouth, you know. And Mike Tyson. So sitting here uh, close to three and a half years after we got our first case, yeah, I mean, there are tons of things that we would have approached in a, in a different way. But um, it's the novel corona virus right but so let, let me start this uh a different way and that is i actually think one of the things that we lose sight of through that time period is that we actually did a pretty good job coming together at first that's right across the country in tennessee in nashville people in leadership communities i think we lose sight of the fact that we all for like a pretty uh, before it got nationally politicized we came together a lot of communities in this country and certainly in tennessee and like just actually worked together. And so I want to start with before we get to what you have done, what you would have done differently, which again, I think is we all could say a million things about ourselves in that time period. I'd like to know what you are proud of in, in that period of time. And, and frankly, m more of just what was it like the buildup? Yeah. Like, you know, that it's coming, you're starting to see headlines, you're starting to see information. Like, what is that like being in a position, right? Where you all of a sudden you, have to drop everything you're doing from a, a standpoint of actually executing, governing the city. We have all these ideas and issues we want to execute. Now it's just like, we're done with all of that. This is the thing that we're all focused on every single second of the day. I think you're totally right that in those first few weeks, we approached it as a city and as a country, as if it was a nat as if it was a natural disaster. And so after a hurricane or in our case, a few years ago, after the tornado, the community comes together and it's no one's fault. It's something we have to get through together. And I think if you look at COVID and then the shooting at, at Covenant on 27th of March, in the immediate aftermath, everyone comes, comes together. But if things aren't a natural disaster and you want to have a policy solution and it's something that the government is going to have to deal with, um, that's when things got splintered. But in, in terms of... Um, what I noticed before we got our first case is that the two smartest people in my life, my brother and John Bunton, were telling me every day that COVID was going to change the world. It was going to be bigger than 9-11. And that blew my mind. I was skeptical. But they kept saying it. They would, they would send me links. They would, talk, they would talk to me about stuff. And I was like, all right, I got to watch this thing. And then when it started to unfold... I started to ask the questions that they had and that I was seeing folks ask. Um, and then it, it 
sort of became a project that I had to work on. And, and at that point we thought it was going to be two, three weeks, you know, uh, and it became more like two or three years. Um, should have put a trigger warning on this episode <laughs> Yeah, for everybody. So I think one thing that, um, we did well is communicate. Uh, it, it, it was something that was so new and so scary. If, if we kind of put our heads in that space again, um, people were sanitizing packages through the mail and groceries and, um, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. And so bringing in the, the intellectual resources that we have as a community, um, you know, between Harry and Van and, and Vanderbilt and sharing real expertise with the community. I think we had 101 press conferences. I think that was a great thing. And I think we, um, on the whole, took a took a pretty middle of the road path in terms of how we responded. If if you look at uh, if on one end end of the spectrum you have San Francisco uh, closing outdoor dining, okay, well that in the moment that seemed pretty bad, and then on the other end you had um, Florida. Uh, they initially closed bars along with Texas at the same time that we closed bars. I like to. I like to remind folks of that, but pretty, pretty quickly did nothing. Um, and I think, um, with most things, the best approach is probably somewhere in, in between that. And so I'm, I'm proud that collectively we, we took a, took a pretty measured path. And then, um, one thing I think has aged very well is we rolled back all the restrictions the moment the vaccine was available to, to everyone. Um, and that, in, in in the moment that that seemed like the best approach because uh, you could sit there and say there is nothing better coming down the pipe you know there, there's nothing yeah. else we can wait for except for the vaccine once the vaccine is available for everyone the government's role here is done I, I recommend the book uh, Michael Lewis's premonition by the way um, it's a very short read but it tells you that of all people George Bush in 2006, saw all this coming and put together a bunch of things in place to actually try to address this. So I, I, I use that to preface the follow-up, which is not what would you have done differently or, or, or whatever, but like there's a very good chance this happens again at some point, maybe not in our lifetimes, but there's a very good chance that it happens again. What would your advice be to people in those situations that you learned from in that moment that you'll say, man, I think you got to be careful of this, or we could have done that a little bit differently. Yeah, and I've I've been a part of I think two um, post mortems on Nashville's response and what what we can learn from that. One was from the health department, and one was from um, the the group largely backed by uh, uh, Frist, which is Na uh, Nashville Health. And and one of the things that I would say we we were very early into the term when we had we had to deal with this. And so when I say we communicated well, I think there was an opportunity to do that better and i know personally um when it when it comes to the hospitality sector and that's a you know nashville is pretty unique in that a big part of our economy is based around bringing large numbers of people together every day and putting them in large groups and well that's going to be pretty consistent with spreading a yep. respiratory uh virus but we hadn't built a lot of relationships within that, within that community and, and within that sector. And so 
Cooper has this phrase that, you know, all, all sins in, in politics are from not reaching out to enough people sooner. And I think that was totally something that I would advise folks to do is bring people in on the front end. If a decision is going to be made, let's make sure they don't read about it in the paper, or see it on the news, reach out to them on the very front end. Um, and then, you know, the next, we can sort of learn lessons from COVID, but the next um, virus that we're going to deal with, it, it's going to be different, right? And and so the lessons are going to be different, but, um, I you know, I, I think to the extent that um, contact tracing may play a larger role in whatever the next um, epidemic, is than what it did during COVID because it just started to spread so fast you yep. couldn't staff up enough contact tra yep. uh, uh, tracers to possibly trace it but the next time around hopefully you can and and maybe that plays a lot a, a larger role so I think being flexible um, responding quickly um, and you know communicating to more people on the front end with schools this is my last question on the subject, but was schools, was the mayor's office directing what the schools were going to do, or was the schools left to make their own decisions independent under the director of schools and its school board? Was it a collaborative approach or what? And the reason I ask that, because a lot of communities across the state of Tennessee allowed athletic competition to continue and metro shut that down in fact some football coaches had a press conference at a church and they got reprimanded in their personnel file and so i was just wondering like was that dictated collaborative or let them make their own decision only jamie would talk about sports instead of you know learning loss or something but um no that was a decision that was managed by schools and and uh chiefly by the superintendent and, and the board. Um, you know, here in Nashville, the mayor and the council are responsible essentially for the budget of the schools. But in terms of the management, the day-to-day -day decisions, um, we were not uh, in a position to dictate that. Um, you know, and, and I think it's easy to say that given what we know now, that the virus was primarily killing older people, it was not a huge threat to kids, um, the deep sort of psychological costs of having kids out of school, should they have gone back sooner? Probably. I think most folks agree with that. Um, but they were also, you know, around the country, um, districts were dealing with not just parents and the opinion of parents were, were split. You're dealing with parents trying to keep kids safe. And then what do you do about staff? And so it was a lot to juggle, um, and we what we tried to do is 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 put teachers and students in the best position possible by supporting laptops and 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 internet for for every kid, and that's that's a legacy of COVID that I think will continue to help kids for hopefully for decades to come. But um, you know, I think a lot of folks point to that as a as an example of something that we would look we would try to do uh, differently. All right, then while that's going on, increasing property taxes. 
That's right. Let's talk about that, and then when's the next one coming? So on 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 property taxes, um, interestingly, I, I like to remind folks that at the time, 2020, you're saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to raise property taxes in the middle of a recession from COVID. That's horrible. Well, you look back, and when people were actually paying their property tax bills after that hike, was right when they were getting huge checks from the feds. So, and the the dip in unemployment, while, or the the dip in employment, I don't want to just gloss over that. That was really tough on a lot of folks, right? And and tough on a lot of 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 businesses. But we did not enter into the kind of prolonged recession that people were forecasting at that time. So I think really in in hindsight the impact of that property tax increase was a lot less onerous than we think about than we perhaps thought about it at the time. The other thing that I would say uh, cuz there's there's a critique that I you shouldn't have raised it as much or whatever. Um well that's look, I mean, that's fair because the year before could have raised it 17%, but the guy on the council sitting in seat one voted no. Yeah, and and um, if you have John on, you can talk to him about that. I mean, that was when, when he was on council and during the campaign, I mean, that, that was something that we we disagreed on. I mean, I I, I think I have a lot of tweets about it. I, I thought we should have raised taxes before. Um, but um, his, what he would tell you is he didn't feel comfortable asking people to pay more until he had a sense of confidence that f- funds were being managed correctly in the first place. If you think the government is not doing a good job of managing the money, why are you going to give them more? Um, but uh, the decision to raise property taxes has enabled Nashville to respond to growth, to um, increase per people funding in our schools by 40% to hire close to 500 new police officers in four years um, to do all manner of investments that would not be possible without that. And then the other thing I would say, uh, if, if we play out the game of if taxes had been raised the year before and you, and you try to sneak by on a, on a smaller hike, um, inflation would have hit this city really hard. Um, and so that property tax hike is – beneficial in a way that we couldn't have known at that time. So the projections that um, the finance director Crumbo used at that time were quite conservative and it, and it was forecasting a, a, a deep and prolonged dip in sales tax collections that Nashville then outperformed. And so we had more funds than we, than, than we, than we projected. Um, but had we not been that conservative and, and raised it less or raised it the year before, I think, not only would the city not be as well positioned as we are today, not have been able to make the big investments, um, and we would be really crippled by inflation right now. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Crumbo, hired by Freddie O'Connell, be the director of finance. Go ahead, Brent. Well, I find it interesting, and maybe it's because I'm a campaign like messaging nerd, but I, I find it interesting that like I don't hold. I know people win campaigns based on strategy and messaging and, and appealing to an electorate and trying to find a certain thing and. But like I'm okay with somebody running a campaign saying X and then having to do a different thing when they're in office because governing is a totally different job 
than campaigning. They are two totally different skills in theory. And frankly, the job of Metro Council person is different than the job of mayor. And they have different, you sort of have different roles and you have to do different things and you're, you're responsible to different people. So like, for example, I mean, I'm not going to get in, I don't want to get into the soccer stadium, but like, if you're going to be anti-soccer stadium and then you become mayor, well, your job is to make it work, which is exactly what Freddie sort of has to do now with the Titan stadium. And he ended up getting John Cooper ended up getting a better deal for the city of Nashville through that process. So I, I guess, and it, and it speaks to sort of what you were saying about how, when you ran the campaign, you were saying things about Nashville that Freddie was saying. Now, I, I just don't, am I too, maybe cynical is the right word. Am I too cynical to say that I can parse out what somebody says on a campaign trail, what somebody says as a Metro council, and then what somebody actually has to do when they're in the office, that those are sometimes all very different things. Well, you're not wrong that campaigning is different than governing. Um, but I don't think that we should accept um, just sort of the outright cynicism of, well, they're going to say that to get elected. And then once they're in the seat, they can do something different. I mean, I, I don't think that was, um, I'm not telling people to lie on the campaign trail, yeah. but, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, Cooper probably did not anticipate that the tax hike would be as large as it was. And, and, and that was because of the effect of, 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 of COVID, um, that it was quite that, quite that high. And then, um, on the campaign, I think he probably, uh, deviated from his his consistent point once or twice, but pretty consistently his point was, I'm not going to ask people to pay more in taxes until we do X, Y, and Z. And that was look for savings, look for an opportunity for more revenue from different sources. And from one of the things was making the convention center pay the equivalent of, of property taxes, which we got done and if you total it all up, uh, Cooper pulled back about a hundred million bucks from the downtown tourism space into the general fund of of the city, which is, um, in you know that's about it. That works out to about of the about a third of the new funding for 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 schools. So it, it's a lot. Is it as much as the property tax? No, um, but I think he he sat there saying. I have to be able to look folks in in the eye and say I've tried everything. I've looked under the mattress. I've I've you know tried to squeeze as much juice as possible, and then I'm going to go to you and say we've got to raise taxes. So I, yeah, I guess I just governing Jamie the art of the possible. Campaigning to me is the art of the imagination. I, I just you know I think they're two very different skills. But maybe again, maybe I'm such a nerd that I'm studying messaging and comms in a different way. How have you personally changed? How are you different in how you view the job of mayor or administration or running a city? You went into it feeling certain things as a camp working on the campaign. How are you different? How do you feel things? How do you view things differently now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've learned a lot. I mean, if, if you had before the whole experience, um, I, I probably had a lot of hubris and thought, oh my gosh, the mayor's office has 30 people. What's taking them so long to get this stuff done? You've got a staff of 30. Then you get in there, and I'm like, you only got 30? That's all you got? You need about, you need about 50. You know, you look at 
I think the comm staff alone for the city of New York, the comm staff there is like 30. Um, so there's a lot to do uh, in a mayor's office, and I think giving them a little bit of grace and a little bit of space to accomplish things is very important. Um, when uh, Mayor O'Connell was transitioning in, I know some folks on Twitter were like, oh, Ben, you get to come join the dark side now and talk talk a bunch of shit. And I was like, no, that, that doesn't really interest me. I mean, I, I think regardless of who's in there, they're trying to do a good job and they're trying to do the right things. And, um, you know, if you, if you have ideas, reach out to them. If you have concerns, reach out to them. They're just people that live in Nashville that are trying to make this a better place to live. And so, um, I've, I've probably, or, or I have, I've, I've moderated, I think a good bit in, in terms of how I look at, um, government and, um, how I look at the people doing the jobs and, um, you know, you want to, I think ideally, um, have high expectations and be very demanding, um, encourage different approaches, creative approaches, um, while still giving folks some space to, to do the work. How many, how many hours a week? On average, mayor's office personnel working. I mean, more than forty. You know, um, I think it's. I think there's a, sen- there's a the sen- well. there's a sense in the community that you know, hey, it's a nine to five, it's eight to four, but it's really what job is a forty hour work? It's job? really a can't can till can't. They liked it dark. You know the the thing I would say is like if you're doing a job that you're passionate about and you're excited about, like you're thinking about it all the time, and so. It's it's very hard to ask me like how often how 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 much were you work how how much were you work were you working because if if you're doing the job well you're thinking about it when you go to bed and when you get up in the morning, um, so during there were moments where it was seven days a week, um, towards 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 the end the, you know it it got in a better flow but during some of the crises it was every day but it it just depends. How surprised were you when he said he didn't want to run again? Not surprised. I was probably the only one not not surprised. Um, I was um, really probably the only one um, who who didn't think he should do it. Um, you know, you get um, you get in circumstances. I think if you're if you're a mayor, if you're an executive, or if you're an athlete, or if you're any of these folks where an entire ecosystem depends on you, that you're going to have people around you wanting for the ecosystem to continue. Um, and I, I looked at it as, what's the best thing for John Cooper, the guy that I got to be really good friends with and, you know, appreciate and know his family and, um, he gave a lot to the city um, on, on council for four years and the mayor's office for four years. And I think so he, he saw his contribution to public life as being two terms. Folks think about, oh, he was mayor for a term. He thinks about it as he was up at the courthouse. And when he was on council, that was a full-time job for him. you know. And, and so he, he sees it as eight years of, of work. And when he ran for mayor, 
he wanted to. His instinct was to go around the community saying, I only want to do this for four years. I want to go in. I want to solve the problems. I want to get the finances right. And then I want to move on. And uh, I told him I didn't think anyone cared about that. I, I didn't think it was going to move votes. And so we polled it and no one cared about it. And so it was like, all right, like, don't talk about that. But if you, uh, I think Tony Gonzalez at WPLN um, would be able to tell you in, a, in an interview, he said, I want to do this for one term, right? And so I think if that's, if that was his headspace when he ran, there had to be a compelling reason to do it for a second term. You know, you put yourself through a lot personally. I think the last four years in um, American politics was probably the toughest time for for mayors um, in a in you know a century. And I, I don't really know what what it was like before that, but um, it was about the toughest four year stretch imaginable for for mayors. And he told a lot of folks, I I wish I could have done it for one more year because he had some projects from the East Bank to the Global Mall to um, finding new uses for old school sites that he would have nerded out on and and really loved perfecting in a fifth year. Global Mall, like, we're going to turn those into pickleball courts. I hope we're going to do some there. That's, that's, that's great. That's, that's, what so, that's what I'm angling for. He would have loved to do it for a fifth year, but to put yourself through that yep. for another yep. four, I, I, was not, I was not surprised. Well, let's not get away without talking about Christmas Day bombing. That's more, right. More yeah. crisis. So uh, a, a lot of things, especially in this four years, you know, might have set out a plan. Here's what we're going to do. But managing at least three crises and the Christmas Day bombing, what was the impact there on the mayor's office and the functionality of the government? Gosh, I mean, really remember that two Christmases were um, crisis mode. So you had the bombing and then you had the... <laughs> The, uh, the freeze, where a lot of folks were without power, and the Titans, in fact, delayed a, the, the kickoff of a game, which is pretty, pretty rare. dang rare. While the lights um, were on the night before, I believe, right? Generators, Braden. Oh, generators, sorry, sorry, Braden. My, my, generators. All my plants died. Generators. Braden's two online. Um, Terminally. But, I, I was at that game, by the way. What, what do you want to talk about specifically with the Just bombing? What, what did that do to the functionality of the government? From communications to police, fire, all those basic essential functions that we have. Well, it 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 gave it gave, you know it was one one more thing to work on in terms of rebuilding Second Avenue, which is which is still going, um, and I I think it was yet another example of first responders stepping up, charging in, keeping folks safe. Um, you know, it's remarkable. Uh, but you know, you you total up the crises. Uh, it's it was um, a four years that I think we all hope we do not have to repeat. It's like nine years of crises in there. Surely, like nine surely months. it felt like two terms. May not have been, but one officially, but surely felt like two. I, I certainly feel confident saying I don't know what one term feels like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you and I have talked a lot about one of the talking points of people that are against the Titan Stadium deal is oh they got so creative with this funding, and you and I have talked a lot about this, um, that you guys have gotten creative. You guys did get creative with a lot of other things. What what are what is the list? What are the list of those? What are? What is? What is the list of those things? Well, 
here in a few days, I think you're going to see a really exciting announcement uh, about the Naval Reserve building at Shelby Park. Uh, the topic I just spoke about was kind of finding new uses for old school sites around the county that uh, the current Mayor O'Connell is going to have have a have a great time finding uses for those from affordable housing to you know community space. I mean, that's it, it, going to be amazing. So setting the stage for that, um, you know, I think the mental health co-response uh, with 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 police is is an example of of of, of innovation. Um, the changes that we made to teacher pay is an, as an example. And for, pause for a point on that. At the time, so we started the pay study I think in early 2020, and folks said, "Oh, you don't need to you don't need to study that. We all know what you need to do. You need to pay the teachers more." Okay, yes, correct. But what we ended up finding in the in the study and Shout out to Public Education Foundation. What we found is that there were key points in a teacher's tenure where they were leaving, and we had struggled to to retain them. And so not only did we raise teacher pay by like 39% in four years, we inverted the salary curve. And so the raises that a teacher got happened earlier in, in their career, and therefore we were able to retain our teacher's teacher retention improved in Nashville while turnover rose around the country, right? So that's an example of something where the sort of hot take, we don't need to study, just do it. Well, if, if you study, you might be able to just do it a little bit smarter and a little bit better. But there are a lot of examples of, of, of innovation and, and um, focus. I mean, within the mayor's office, the number of people, you know, we had 30 folks in the mayor's office, thereabouts, um, a, a small handful were even tangentially involved in the Titans deal. Um, but when, when we spoke about this on your other pod, um, one of the things you about can call the Titans the deal, other thing a pod, the this is PBN. Oh, th- thank you, Jamie, for yes, giving sir. him permission to call my product something. I appreciate that. So on this no pod. Problem. No problem. <laughs> uh, Thanks for coming on the pod, by the way. PBN. I do appreciate it. PBN pod. Um, <laughs> one of the things, though, about the Titans deal is is I really feel like the most redeeming aspect of the stadium deal was that Metro had a lease. From <laughs> getting the team in the late 90s, we had a lease that we had to deal with and reckon with and we can bicker about if the obligation was a billion or 1.8 or 0.9 or 1.2. It does not matter because we had a lease. We had hey, to the, cl- the clown from Kennesaw State University brought up here and testified. Fuck that guy. Ben, um, well, he actually had an, he has another study um, that I don't know if many folks have pointed to, but that that esteemed professor has a study in which. He uh, studies the correlation between the size of a governing body and spending. And so the fact that people chose to lift him up as an example of someone to listen to, whereas if you look at his other work, he would be making a case pretty clearly to shrink the council because this is a conservative, anti-government spending guy. I think 
people need to be careful about who they're yeah, fuck that guy. listening to. I, I just but I'm, so the most listen, redeeming no, we, we point def- though. Hang on, we definitely have eight hundred million lying around, but we do not have one point four billion lying around. But there's definitely eight hundred million lying right, around. Right, right. That's what we were supposed to believe, I guess. Uh, so the most redeeming point is Metro had a lease, and then the mayor got the state to bail us out of our lease. I think I think that deserves a round of applause, but instead we were confronted with this notion that I guess Nashville should turn down half a billion from the state and we should turn down the state portion of the sales tax and we should turn down the 1% of the hotel tax that was never going to be available for anything else we would want to do. I would love to see 1% hotel tax for affordable housing or for transit. wasn't going to happen. But I guess we should have turned those down and gone to the property tax payer of Nashville and say pay for a stadium. But the unfortunate political reality because of city and state dynamics, we were had both hands tied behind our back, unable to talk about the most compelling part of the deal. And I, I think uh, had we been able to talk about that, I, I think it would be a much more popular deal. And it's why I believe um, – it's going to age very, very well. Yeah, and the state's in for a billion dollars on that site. Not only half a million. You're talking TPAC. Right? Not only half a billion in bonds, but going to be another half a billion in the TPAC. So, like, we, we're all together on the East Bank. That's for, right. For better, for worse, good or for bad, we're, we're partners in that deal. Well, to me, it goes back to kind of Cooper stadium approach with the soccer thing is like, I'm okay with someone like, I don't know, honestly having someone who was opposed to it on a campaign trail, hypothetically, then be in charge of executing it. There's a lot worse situations to be in because it doesn't matter. You're in charge of executing it and the people voted you in to execute it, but you have to do it regardless of what you said or didn't say on the campaign trail. Like that's kind of isn't that similar to what John had to deal with with the soccer stadium, in some in some weird way. I know there's different there's different details, but isn't that yeah? I mean, is, that, an, that, is the, that analogous at all? Well, I guess with with soccer um, and with uh, Titans, uh, in both cases the bonds were issued prior to the new mayor com- uh, coming in. So, I mean, I I have a great deal of confidence that um, Mayor O'Connell and Bob Mendez are going to do a great job shepherding that project along. Um, you know, it's it's not a bad thing to have the the the, the critics of a deal um, take a really keen eye towards um, executing it and and make and and making make, and making sure it's a success. So I, I it's I'm like, confident it's like, there. It, uh, Jamie, you got two kids. Uh, it's like when I tell Thank my you. Yes, I when I tell my daughters to cut the piece of cake in half. And it's like whoever cuts it, the other one picks. I know that's really reductive, but that's that's sort of how it feels <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I'm like I'm like I tell the oldest one like if you're gonna cut it, the little one gets to pick the, this, which piece of the cake she wants. That's a good idea. So, uh, uh, Thirty. Well, you've been very gracious with your time. Thirty years from now, what is the thing? What, we people have one thing in their head about the Cooper administration. What is the thing that that people are that will remember? Yeah, I'm going to give him time to think about that. Well, I, I give you my glance back at Carl Dean. He destroyed public education. Thanks, Carl. Go ahead. So, I mean, I think it depends <laughs> Was on that the entire episode. <laughs> I that's 
That's a hot take. Um, I think it, like a lot of things, it depends on who is writing the history, what the point they're trying to make is, what their perspective is. I mean, I think hopefully someone in Jamie's position 30 years from now talk talking about Mayor Cooper is talking about how, well, that was the guy that uh, took the school funding up by 40% in four years, more than any other city in the country, maybe ever. Um, and sort of recast what it means to focus on schools and, and put your money where your mouth is. Now, do I think folks will really remember that three decades from now? No, probably not. Um, I think there, there are a hundred things for the mayor to be, for Mayor Cooper to be proud of. And, um, but the thing that, that people are probably going to remember in 30 years, just because it's going to transform the landscape of Nashville, is, is going to be the East Bank. Now, I, I think when you have him on the podcast, he's going to be excited to talk about Global Mall and excited to talk about, um, you know, 480 new, 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 new police officers and per people funding up by 40%. But being realistic in 30 years folks are going to uh, are are going to remember the east bank and not so much the stadium i think the stadium is going to be a part of the east bank um but um that that project is going to age tremendously well it's going to be one of the most dynamic parts of town and so i i would if if you made me bet what a poll result in 30 years would show it would be the east bank and Going back to Dean, I mean, I think you can talk about schools with Dean. You know, what I think about is that he invested in the convention center during a recession when cities around the country were pulling back. He followed through on a commitment, got that done. And, you know, did, did we have to claw back some funding because people didn't plan for success with the tourism development zone? Yes, we did. Um, it's sort of a weird case study and what, we've, we've and what happens about, when we've things talked go about right that before that tdz was too big to fail too big yeah too big but that is a huge success and it, and it transformed the down it transformed the downtown and, yeah. and kick started the growth so for dean that's what i would point to well and i can quibble with you there what what's the occupancy rate of the convention center or I mean, it's like fully booked all the time or is our hotel motel taxes exceeding succeeding so much that it's funding the debt service and building the reserve and the convention as opposed to people filling that place up? I mean, if you want to go on the record saying it is not successful as a convention center, feel feel I, free. <laughs> we can go talk to Charles Starks and get you the books. On I asked the question. How on, often it's I, used? I'm but. asking the question, but you mentioned Mr. Starks also. Highest paid employee in the metropolitan government. <laughs> That's true. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. F former Metro Council member Jamie Holland and former senior advisor Ben Eagles on the pod debating Carl Dean. That's what people tuned in for. <laughs> that and John Moran. Five stars. Five <laughs> stars. Uh, ben, take a, take a breath, man. Like, not just because of this conversation, but uh, I'm assuming there's a lot of folks in that administration that that, that one year in particular, there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of people having to think through a lot of things as it pertains to that particular year. I, I know I did, and I had nothing to do with how the government responded. So yep. um, thank you for, for coming on. Uh, we do appreciate it.
Thank you. And um, yeah, is there anything you want to say that we hadn't asked you about? Gosh, something you want to something you want to get off your chest. That is good. Prep- <laughs> that's good preparation right there by the by the PBN host. That is great host of the pod. Um, PBN. Well, just <laughs> glad to be here on the pod. Uh, if there's anything that I remember that I that I didn't talk about, I'll leave it Post in a review. Yeah, I'll definitely share it. Oh, thank you so much, Ben, for coming in. Uh, Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. Any, anything else you got? No. What about you? You didn't like my last fucking question. What? What? What do you want to drag me on now? Are you talking about me? Yeah. I don't. I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you, personally, professionally. That makes one. <laughs> I, think, I think the kids call that cat bird. There you go. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not cool. Oh, enough. you're the fucking. I'm the old guy. You're the millennial that doesn't know what cap means. I, okay. I am. I'm a geriatric millennial. I was born a millennial, but I do not identify as one. I am transitioning. Wait till your Jamie. Wait till your kids like get a little millennial. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 82, barely under the wire. Uh, for Jamie Holland, Ben, thank you so much for coming in. I am Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. Five stars, everybody. PBN. We'll talk, we'll talk to you next week. Big fan of Jaw. I think we're going to have to win some games with him gone. 25 okay. games, bad start to the year last night. Zion Williamson looked like a fucking stud. He's washed. Wow. Nobody <laughs> see, Nobody saw the – nobody put out the highlights of Jaron Jackson Jr. blocking his shit a couple times. And uh, it was called a foul. It was reviewed. Taylor Jenkins remained perfect on his reviews, his challenges. Yeah, Jaron greater than Zion. Not having Steven Adams is a fucking problem. They can't grab a board. It's a big, big problem. Xavier Tillman had 15, though. Yeah. Brandon Miller looked pretty good last night, too.